Well, g'day everyone, my name's Andrew, and it's great to be with you as we resume our series on the book of Hebrews. If you haven't yet read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, through to chapter 5, verse 10, then please stop and do that now, as that's a text we're going to be looking at. Well, I grew up on a six-acre block in the bush, and it was fantastic because I got to experience what a lot of suburban kids miss out on. Instead of being inside, playing computer games, I was out in the bush, setting things on fire, cooking damper, racing bikes down our steep 80 metre driveway or hooning around the bush on our homemade go-kart. I'd be playing backyard cricket and golf, hand feeding wild possums and all kinds of animals, including my siblings. Uh, or I'd be checking out our neighbour Bruce's impressive collection of snakes that he'd killed and hung on the fence to remind us kids that there are snakes everywhere. But probably the most epic thing that we had growing up was a long flying fox that went down our steep property between two huge trees and underneath it were rocks the whole way. Now, as you'd expect, we had a number of casualties over the years, including my younger sister who tore between her nose and her upper lip uh, from being dragged along the rocks and she still bears her scars today. Uh, she just got married though, so she's doing all right. Uh, my sister's friend also became victim to the flying fox, largely thanks to my dad, who thought that he would increase the fun factor by heavily oiling the flying fox right before my sister's birthday party. I mean, who does that? Dads, dads do that. And so my sister's friend shot down the hill in record time. But when she got to the end where it massively recoils and you almost hit the tree, she just let go and off she went. And we never really saw her again after that. I don't think she was ever allowed back for another flying fox party, that's for sure. And we used to have strangers as well who would see the flying fox from the road and who would sneak onto our property to have a go. Uh, and we would all excitedly be watching them from inside the house being dragged along the rocks because they didn't know that the heavier you are, the higher you needed to hold on. And as I was thinking about this sermon, I think the flying fox is a good analogy for this passage. It's as though the day that we decided to become a Christian, we reached out and we held on to Jesus, onto the flying fox. And ever since that day, we have been taken on this journey through life, which has many difficulties and challenges along the way. But if we keep holding on until we get to the end, then we'll be welcomed into God's everlasting arms. The problem is, though, as some of you would well and truly know by now, is that it's not always easy to hold on. Uh, in fact, it's often really difficult to hold on because the conditions around us are always changing. At times, the ride is bumpy or slippery. Uh, at times, we can't see what's ahead and it feels as though our troubles will never end. There are unexpected obstacles along the way that we have to deal with as well, and our determination or ability to hold on inevitably fluctuates over the course of the journey. At first, we might have been full of passion and it was relatively easy to hold on. But over time, it can become hard and tiring to hold on with all of life's difficulties. Especially 
if we lose our concentration and become distracted by what's around us or fearful of what's ahead. And so the question that I want to ask today is how do we keep holding on until the end? How do we keep holding firmly onto Jesus when life's often so difficult? Well, in today's passage, we are given three incentives to keep holding firmly onto Jesus. And so we're going to look at these three incentives and then we will finish by thinking through what it looks like to hold on to Jesus practically in our day-to-day lives. So the first incentive we are given in this passage is hold firmly onto Jesus because he is representing you. Hold firmly onto Jesus because he is representing you. If you've got your Bibles, please read along with me, beginning at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. What's the role of a high priest? We'll jump down to chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So what that means is that if you're a Christian, then Jesus is your great high priest and he is right now in heaven representing you and your problems before God. Now, how often was a high priest in the Old Testament allowed to enter into the presence of God in order to represent the people? Only once a year. For 364 days of the year, They were forbidden from entering into the Holy of the Holies where God dwelt. But how often does Jesus, our high priest, represent us before God? Every second of every minute of every day. And he will do so for the rest of your life, for all eternity, in fact. Jesus is permanently now in God's presence in heaven, And he will be our representative forever as he has been made a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Which just means that his priesthood will never end. Look at chapter 5 verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. God right now is intently listening to your representative, Jesus, because God himself appointed Jesus to be your representative. And Jesus has proven himself to be our perfect representative. 
by throughout his life, offering up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears for so many people. And he was always heard by God because of his reverent submission to God. In many ways, Jesus is like a QC, the best lawyer that you can get. Everybody knows that when you get a QC, you have a very good chance of winning your case because a QC knows the situation, the law and the judge better than anyone else. They are the best representative that you can get. As the saying goes, it's not often what you know, but it's who you know. And we know Jesus, our great high priest, the son of God, who is representing us before the God of the universe, before the God who is sovereign over our situations and our problems, who is sovereign over our past, our present, and our future. What does this mean in practice? It means that Jesus, your representative, knows who you are, where you're at, what you're currently facing, how you're feeling, and what God's plan and purpose is behind it all. And Jesus is right now in God's ear asking him to help and to look after you through these difficulties so that you will continue to hold on to him until the end. So the first incentive is hold firmly onto Jesus because he is representing you. The second incentive is hold firmly onto Jesus because he is empathising with you. Hold firmly onto Jesus because he is empathising with you. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Whilst Jesus never sinned, he still lived in this broken world as a human being, with a human body, a human head, a human heart, a human mind and a human will. And just like you and me, Jesus lived a difficult life here on earth. He felt sadness, despair, discouragement, and the full range of human emotions that we go through. He experienced rejection by others. He lost loved ones. He suffered physical pain and mental anguish. And he had to persevere through the daily grind, just like us. Yet rather than falling into the trap of sinning, as we so often do, he trusted God and he held on to him firmly throughout life's problems. And he wants to help us now to do the same. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What we see here is that whilst Jesus was fully God, and fully human, he himself needed to be perfected throughout his life. 
not perfected in the sense that he was imperfect and needed perfecting, but perfected as in he needed to learn perfect obedience to the Father's will throughout life's troubles. And so as he grew up as a child and as a teenager and then as a man, when he was tempted to sin, which would have been every hour of every day, he had to choose to obey God's will rather than what his own head and heart were tempting him to do. And this continues all the way up to his final act of obedience, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays while sweating drops of blood from the inner turmoil that he is facing. Lord, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. What he's saying is, Lord, if there's any other way to save your people without me dying on the cross and receiving your wrath, let it happen, God. But then he obediently prays, yet not as I will, but as your will be done. And he was crushed for our inequity so that we might have life and access to God again through his perfect obedience, through his perfect high priestly sacrifice. So whilst Jesus never sinned, he is empathising with our weaknesses right now. He understands. He's been there. He's completed the flying fox himself. He knows what it's like and, and how hard it is to hold on at times. Yet he never loosened his grip on God, but he held on to him firmly and he completed the journey. And he's now with the Father, watching us on our voyage, representing us and empathising with us so that we too will finish the journey as well. So the incentive so far are hold firmly onto Jesus because he is representing you, Hold firmly onto Jesus because he's empathising with you. And then the third and final incentive is hold firmly onto Jesus because he's helping you. Hold firmly onto Jesus because he's helping you. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Through Jesus being our great high priest, we now have access to God's throne of grace 24-7 so that we are able to receive the help that we need when we need it. Just when we think that we can't hold on anymore, Jesus will give us the help that we need whether that be through words of encouragement, renewed strength, clarity of vision, physical help, uh, wisdom as to how to hold better onto him in the midst of temptation, or a smooth, easy section where we can rest and refocus. We may not receive help when we think we need it most. We certainly won't receive help before we need it or after we need it, 
But his grace and mercy will come exactly when we need it so that we are able to keep holding firmly onto him. Several years ago, uh, I had a couple in my growth group who'd been trying to fall pregnant for some years. And so when they finally became pregnant, we were all so excited for them. However, after 21 weeks, they tragically had a stillbirth. And as they spoke up the front of their child's funeral, holding back tears whilst grieving their loss, they thanked God for the child's life and they publicly professed their hope and trust in Jesus, saying that they're going to hold on to him firmly in the midst of these difficulties and challenges. I said to the pastor next to me, they're, they're coping so well, I, I don't know if I could do that. And he wisely said to me, you couldn't do that because God only gives a special dispensation of grace through Jesus to those who need it in their time of need. He said, I see it all the time in Christians when I do funerals and especially at the funerals of young people. Jesus and Jesus alone is able to help you in your time of need. The help that you need when you need it will not come through any other person or through any other means. It will only come through Jesus. So to recap, the three incentives to keep holding on are hold firmly onto Jesus because he is representing you, hold firmly onto Jesus because he is empathising with you, and hold firmly onto Jesus because he is helping you. And so I want to finish now by asking you, are you holding firmly onto Jesus? Are you holding firmly onto Jesus practically in your day-to-day life? You see, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm holding firmly onto Jesus, but it's another thing to actually hold on to him in practice. Let me give you some examples. If you say, I'm holding firmly onto Jesus as he's the only one who satisfies me, yet you are often discontent, continually buying, upgrading, and looking for fulfillment in holidays, work, family, food, a relationship, or even fulfillment in ministry, then you're probably not holding firmly onto Jesus in practice. If you say, I'm holding firmly onto Jesus by living my life for him and and for his glory alone, yet you're practically living for other people's approval at home, at work, at church, in your friendship circle or on social media, then you're probably not holding firmly onto Jesus in practice. If you say, I'm holding firmly onto Jesus as I believe that he's the only way to be saved and everyone needs to know about him, but you never share the gospel and are not ministering or looking to minister and serve others in any way, 
then you're probably not holding firmly onto Jesus in practice. Or if you say, I'm holding firmly onto Jesus, which is evident by my love for him, yet you rarely spend time with him in his word, in prayer, or time thinking about him and just enjoying him, then you're probably not holding firmly onto Jesus in practice. You see, these are all contradictory and dangerous scenarios where there is a gap between professing faith and functional faith, between what you verbally believe and how you practically live. And if these gaps continue over time, rather than becoming smaller and smaller and smaller, then they can eventually cause us to let go of Jesus altogether. And so we need to stop every now and then and ask ourselves, does the way that I think, speak and act in my daily life, be it at work, when you get home or late at night, reflect a person who is holding firmly onto Jesus? Are the decisions that I'm making every day, such as what my church involvement is, what my devotion and prayer life looks like, how I'm raising my kids, how I'm spending my money, what I'm watching on TV, what I'm posting on social media, how I'm treating those around me. Do all these daily decisions reflect a person who is holding firmly onto Jesus? We are on a flying fox through life. We started our faith journey by reaching out and holding onto Jesus. And now we need to keep holding firmly onto him through this crazy, difficult and challenging ride called life until we get to the end where we will join Jesus in God's presence for the rest of eternity. We just need to keep holding firmly onto him until we get there. How does this responsibility to keep holding on to Jesus until the end not overwhelm and crush us? Because if we truly know Jesus, then we can and we will continue to hold on to him because ultimately, like a safety harness, Jesus is holding on to us. Jesus is enabling us to hold on to him by representing us, by empathising with us and by helping us. He will not allow us to fall because Jesus isn't just the source of our salvation, but he is also the sustainer of our salvation. He will always help us in our time of need. And one day soon, we will finish this difficult journey that we're on. And Jesus will be the first one to welcome us into our new home in heaven, where there'll be no more pain, no more struggles, no more weaknesses, and no more 
temptations. And we will look back at this short little life that we lived and at all the difficulties and challenges that we faced. And they will pale in comparison to being in God's presence with all of his glory, to seeing our Saviour face to face and to being surrounded by millions of angels and fellow believers singing praises to him. And you will say to yourself and to each other for the next hour, for the next week, for the next year, for the next decade, for the next trillion years and for all eternity, holding on to Jesus in that brief little life on earth, as hard as it was at times with its many challenges, was so worth it. So let's keep holding firmly onto Jesus until we get there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are amazing, that you came for us and that you love us more than we could ever know or imagine, more than we can ever even feel. Lord, we thank you that you are with the Father now, representing us, empathising with us and helping us so that we too will finish this journey so that we can go and be with you for the rest of eternity. Lord, I, I pray especially for those of us who are struggling at the moment, going through a hard time, uh, whether that be full of fear, full of doubt, full of pain, full of sickness or, or full of something else. Lord, I pray that you would be near to them, that they might experience your love and your power and your nearness. And Lord, I pray that you would give them a special dispensation of grace so that they may continue to hold firmly onto you until the end and through these difficulties. And lastly, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hold on to you individually, but we would hold firmly onto you collectively as your church, as your people. And it's in Jesus' name, in your name we pray. Amen.